Welcome, Impactful Parents. It's time for the Impactful Parenting Podcast, where I give you parenting tips and resources to make you a more impactful parent to your school-aged child. I am your host, Christina Campos. Welcome, Impactful Parents. Today, we're going to be talking about five things that you should know before going into the foster adoption process. Hello, my name is Christina Campos. I'm founder of The Impactful Parent, and I help parents of school-aged children turn their chaos into connection with their adolescent. I'm a mom of four kids, a teacher that has taught every grade from preschool through high school, and today I help moms and dads like yourself to navigate that exhausting, confusing, frustrating, and rewarding world of parenting. So welcome to The Impactful Parent. Let me introduce you to my co-host and best friend, Melissa Clark. Melissa is a mom of three and has been a teacher, a social worker, and a therapist. But Melissa found her true calling with Gestalt Coaching. Today, Melissa helps people heal past wounds and step into their best self with the Gestalt method of therapy. And today's Impactful Parent episode is all about the foster to adopt process. If you are a parent thinking about adoption at all, then this episode is for you as we're gonna be talking about this particular option and some of the challenges and maybe rewards that come with it. Welcome to this episode of The Impactful Parent. I'm glad you're here. Now today we have a very special guest. His name is Lane Iguden. Lane Iguden is a writer, an English professor, but most importantly, he is a proud dad of two kids whom him and his husband, Jonathan, adopted from the foster system in Los Angeles, California. He's written a lot about adoptive parenting and fatherhood for the websites like adoption.com and family equality, and has just published a memoir about the experience adopting his kids from the foster system called A Family Maybe. I'm happy to interview Lane today. So parents who are thinking about embarking into the foster to adopt system can get five things that Lane wished that he knew before going in to this process. So I'm excited that he's here. Thank you so much. Well, hello, everybody. How are you guys all doing this morning? We're doing great. Yay. Well, I want to start off late. I'm excited to get into this uh, topic with you. Congratulations on your book, first of all. And I want to go right into these five things that you wish that you knew when you had gotten into this process. So in hindsight, what do you wish that you knew? Can you give us our number one? When you go into the public adoption system, which is a very, very complex process with multiple parties involved, um, you know, in the life of the child, the child's birth parents, social workers, uh, court-appointed attorneys, the judge. So there, there are many people involved in the process, and you need to you need to expect the unexpected. That's what I usually tell my friends who are interested in in adopting or would like to follow our lead: is expect the unexpected. You need to learn about the system. Um, you need to arm yourself with resources, and. Um, because each party that is part of this process has its own needs and um and so so yeah so a lot of a lot of uncertainties may may come up along the way a lot of un- unexpected issues may come up along the way and you'll need to learn to deal with it so what i hear you saying is that there's something that's always going to come up that's, that's how life is right and you know what honestly 
that is how parenting is. So I feel like that prepares you for parenting because something is always unexpected coming up. But to be flexible because uh, you just you're going to have to to deal with that. So being being flexible and having that mindset as you're going into this process is going to be really helpful. Right. Right. What's your second? My second tip would be to to know your limits, to know your limits when you choose a child and to stick to them. You know, and, and the very phrase to choose a child sounds a little strange. What does it mean to choose a child? Well, when you go into the foster adoptive process, unlike natural birth, you can actually set up the parameters for the child or the children that you'd like to bring into your home. You can, you can select the age, gender, sibling number, and also the extent of known medical or psychological conditions. You know, some parents might feel that um, they're, they're, you know, they're capable of raising a set of three or four or five kids right off the bat. And others might know that given their circumstances, they can only accommodate one. So some are waiting for a baby. Others would like a, 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 might want an elementary school kid or somebody might, bless their heart, take in a teenager. And so people might be telling you things, you know, especially social workers, oh, you know, your house is perfect for and, and you know, you, you'd be great parents for, but really only you know, only you know who, um, what kind of chat, what kind of child or children you would like to have in your home, in your family. Mm -hmm. So listen to yourself and li listen to that, to the, to, to, to your inner voice. Okay. Like in our, in our case, for example, and I know we're getting a little bit into our life story, but uh, Jonathan and I wanted to adopt a sibling set of two because that's what we felt we were prepared for. We uh, preferably girls, you know, because of just our, our life histories. I helped to raise my younger sister. So that was something I was familiar with. And we were looking for kids under under the age of five. And so, and we, we were open to certain medical conditions. And so all of that went into, into the file. Uh, that's what we put in into it. But uh, from the time we got certified all the way until we had our placement, we were receiving calls about all kinds of matches, which had which, which did not really overlap with what we're looking for or were quite far out of it, right? Um, so, um, so we kept saying no, we kept saying no until we felt that this, you know, that was the right match and we, we went into it. So know your limits and, uh, stick to them. All right. What is your next tip that you have for us? What I've learned is that you need to resist projecting your expectations on that child. You know, you need to build on their own natural strengths. You know, because we come into parenting with all kinds of expectations, which come from our background, from our life experience. Um, you know, uh, we we want a child to be a certain person, um, have certain character, um, and uh, you know, but the only the only person we really know is ourselves, and we know what works for us. It does it doesn't necessarily mean it will work for the child, right? And so, uh, for example, if you're an athlete, you expect your child to grow up an athlete just like you. Or if you're like a great reader or, or, or an eloquent writer, you know, you expect your child to grow up with those skills, right? But you need to let go of those preconceptions, especially when it comes to an adopted child. Because, you know, if, if you think there's something in, you know, biologically, you know, uh, running in your family, like your mom is great with math and you're great with math, then you really don't know what to expect in that sense from an adopted child. So you really need to focus on what they what they are good at. Okay, so what are they good at? What are they naturally drawn to? Uh, what experiences will will make them feel good about themselves 
and build their own uh, their own unique identity. So uh, don't project your expectations onto the child. Build on their strengths. You know, I can give you an example from 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 our family. Um, I mean, I've never been an athlete. You know, I I really you know I really admire people who have those abilities, but I've never been a you know I I think the only sports sport I've, I've ever done was like figure skating for two years, and that was it. Right. I wasn't good at it, by the way. Um, so I've never been an athlete, but I noticed that our older daughter, when she was about three or four, started to show this really kind of unusual upper body strength when like she would move the furniture around all by herself. Right. Or like when we watched we would wash her baby sister in a, in a baby bathtub, she would at the end, she had a lot of fun just coming over, taking up. The side of the tub, the side of the tub with one hand and upending it, like so, so she pouring all the water out into 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 the tub, and it was like, oh my god, you know, she can do that. She can like three, four year old, she can do that. So I figured that. Notice there was a lot of strength there. So I, so what I did is I enrolled her in swimming lessons, and then a year later into water polo. And so our daughter played water polo for seven years, and she was very very good. She was very good, and that sport gave her great exercise healthy cell body image which is very important especially for the girls and improve her social skills because she was on the team so but 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 altogether it gave her a sense that she had something going on in her life outside of school which was important and also very rewarding but but i had never expected a my child to be an athlete and there you know there we go here <laughs> here we got one I so. love that suggestion. And it's so great because it's a great parenting tip for everybody. It doesn't matter if you have your own children or adopted children. Now, more important for adopted children because of that, but to let go of those preconceived notions, to let go of all those expectations that you thought parenting was going to be like, because I'm telling you, we all have them in our brain, every single one of us, <laughs> you know, and it never turns out the way we think it's going to be. Um, and to really search for those strengths and then build that up in your child. I mean, that is really, really good parenting stuff um, that it makes that self-confidence and it gives them uh, something to strive for outside of the home, outside of a screen, you know, it's creating hobbies. It's so many good things there. I love it. What is your suggestion for number four? to respect your own needs, your own authentic needs while parenting, you know? Don't put them off. Don't put them off. You, you need to enjoy being being yourself, not just being a parent, but also being yourself and, and enjoy being that now, right? So when, you take, when you're taking care of, of another human being 24 seven, it's easy to become frustrated and disappointed because your own needs are, are not being met. Like, you know, when you become a parent, your life changes. It changes drastically. And um, things that matter to you from before the kids' ear, you have to kind of put them aside, put them on the back burner and just kind of leave them there, right? And and it's all because the child's the child's needs now are more important than your own. And that's that's all understandable. But but what what I've learned is just that providing a vibrant and fulfilling and you know fully rewarding life for your child does not doesn't have to exactly come at the expense of the erasure of your own. You can continue to focus, albeit maybe on a much smaller scale, right, uh, on your own interests. You know, like writing, meditation, seeing friends, building that ship model, whatever it is that reminds you that you are still you, 
Um, and the key to that is scheduling, you know, not, not just sort of dreaming about, oh, they'd be so nice to no, just, 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 just clear up something in your schedule and put it in. Your child may end up having maybe one less ballet practice or soccer practice a week, but it's not the end of the world. But what it will do is it'll open up an extra couple of hours for you, for yourself. It will give you the time to sort of to come in touch with your own authenticity and and come back to being a parent, you know, feeling more refreshed and, and strengthened, really. That's such a good one. And I think that goes for, again, for all parents of if our cups are run dry and completely empty, then we don't have a whole lot to give to others. But if we can take care of ourselves, then our cups can overflow. And that's when we can be better parents. So I love that one. I really agree with that one. One other very important um, takeaway from our experience is just from, from, from being a parent. And it's not just it's not just being a uh, being an adoptive parent, but I'm sure it's it's important in every family is to take care of your partner because the family begins and ends with you and them, right? So the nucleus, the center of the family is not, you know, when, when you are partnered, is not you and your child so much as you and your partner. That's where it began. And that's where it should be when they go to college, when your child goes to college, it reaches adulthood. So no matter what parents will push you through, you know, and of course, you know, every day is a new day, you know, <laughs> when it comes to, 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 to parenting children, but you, you must do all you can to stay together. And I've seen families split by the, by the, by, by the uncertainties, by the challenges, by the difficulties, honestly, of the adoption process. I've seen power struggles over parenting strategies. Um, I've seen kids dividing parents. You know, I've seen parents belittling and undermining each other. You know, just it's it it may happen, but in the end, you know. Um, you, so, what do you do? What do you do? Keep an eye on your partner, love them more, give them more, give them more. Never take them for granted. You know, never take them for granted. So keep an eye on their needs, love them more, give them more. Never take them for granted, and so that's that's what worked. And uh, from our experience, I mean, this is just an example, but kind of what worked for us is that we we um, we took separate vacations, okay? And and um, some people kind of raised their eyebrows, but but you know what? It really worked because when um, what we would do is like roughly once a year, maybe sometimes once <laughs> once once every couple of years, but we would take short trips on our own, not not just him and me, just just me by myself or him by himself, right? So my partner will go see his family um, or friends out of town, travel to New York, to Central Valley and places like that. In my case, I would, uh, I would when I would go to a conference, I'd usually stay for a few more days, just kind of just to chill afterwards, you know, just have some me time for several days before I return home. Or sometimes I'll go on a hiking trip uh, with, you know, with a, with a hiking group to Arizona, to Hawaii, um, other places. So we would always talk about each trip be before before it happens. We'll try to you know schedule and plan you know, plan around it so 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 as to minimize the impact on the other partner. Okay. So but let me tell you it was worth it. You come back from from this this time alone from kind of like from your from your you know from your from your trip or uh, recharged and and ready to jump back into 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 the parenting you know back to shoulder the responsibilities and also during that time away when you just on your own you know um it begins to clarify the picture of where you are 
in your family, you know, where your family is, you know, what's really going on in your life. And it helps you to prioritize things moving forward. I think this one is so important for all parents. And it's really a lot more difficult than it sounds to do. I think this is much more difficult to implement than it actually sounds like we're making it sound so easy. But when you're in the thick of it, and you're a parent, and you're exhausted, and you're tired, and you feel like you're putting in all the work, hmm. we tend to get into this like rut of oh, I need a break. I need a break. And you start doing a lot of eye language. I'm doing this for everybody. I, oh God, I need to sleep. I need to, you know, exercise. And what you're saying is focus on your partner, make sure that they're well taken care of. And really right. by allowing someone else, your partner to go and rest, you will get more rest because it'll start to reciprocate and that time alone that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And for some parents that who don't like to be alone, I get it. But um, uh, that time alone for a lot of us who, who do need it to recharge is amazing. You know, that time that you need for yourself to do whatever it is that you might need to do, whether it's exercise, go spend time with friends, just go and sleep or just to, to be an adult, like find yourself again, because we can lose ourselves in parenting so easily that you forget who you were before you were even a parent. Like, oh, I used to play tennis. And now I don't anymore because I'm so busy parenting. You lose, you start to lose those little parts of yourself that you used to love. So that time alone is just essential. I love this suggestion. It's really great. So let's get an overview. We have five tips that are going to help parents who that they need to know these five things before they go into this process. All right, let's go through them real quick. Number one. Okay. Number one is expect the unexpected. Learn about the system and arm yourself with resources. Number two. Know your limits in choosing a child and stick to them. Number three. Resist projecting your expectations on your child. Build on their natural strengths. Number four. Respect your own needs while parenting. Enjoy being yourself now. And number five. Remember to take care of your partner. The nucleus of your family is the two of you. All right, Lane. So I'm sure some families want children taken um, that are taken into foster care and adopted from there to reunite with their birth families. How does this affect those families and the kiddos that are in foster care? Okay, well, the, the priority in the, in, in the foster, I would say in the child welfare system is to keep the families together. And I fully support that, you know, the reunification of, of families, you know, when the children are taken out of the family for whatever reason is, uh, there is. Um, so the idea that we want to bring the family back together, I think it's essential. And if the county goes in to remove a child, from a family, there's usually a reason. There's basically a kind of a two, it's called a two-pronged approach, which is there are two tracks. The first track is to send the child back to, to the family, which is called reunification. And the other one is what's called concurrent planning. What will happen if the re re reunification is not possible? And there, um, the options are long-term foster placement, uh, maybe placement with a, with, a, with a distant relative and or adoption. So uh, adoption is always sort of like number two when it comes to foster adoptive situations. So in our case, um, the biological mother 
of our children um, was too young. Was too young. It's it's very unfortunate, I think, in the, in the larger scale of things that she she had to have a child as early as she did, and then another one later on because our our kids are sisters. Um, but basically, at that time, she was struggling with a lot of her own life issues, and she was not able to live independently on her own either. Never mind taking care of a child. So we went in. So I mean, what I what I saw um, the 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 transformation that I saw was more like in myself in my attitude towards her in that uh basically from oh yeah we'll just you know we we can you know from you know we can do a lot of things to to help to help her and then she can become a a, a functioning parent and she can she can you know take the child in or both children in and become but 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 basically the longer we, it went on you know week after week month after month year after year the more it became clear that the issues that she was dealing with were um were not being resolved and so so i felt that the the focus of of this of the process should really been on knowing who the mother is and how deep her issues are should not have been so much on the mother as on the children you know as 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 all of you parents know that especially in the life of a small child a, a, a day is like a week and a week is like a month you know you know the, the, and so so when when that time is being spent with uh uh with a, with a person who is not adequate um to uh, to provide you know those you know the the, the to, to provide you with with the support that you need or you or being bounced from one from one um foster home to another you know you know attachments you know cre creating attachments then they're being disrupted creating disrupted i mean it's it's horrendous it's horrendous and so I think the, the the center of the process should really be the child, should really be the child, not not the not the ownership rights of the natural families, but the child themselves. And so I felt that was lacking. That was lacking because in 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 our situation, the um, the, the 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 judge that was presiding over 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 our kids' case was very very lenient and very supportive um, towards the mother. And I thought this was at the expense of the children. Yeah, and I think that um, one of the scariest things about the foster to adopt process is falling in love with a child and having it leave you, having it go back to the uh, original family or mother and um, knowing that that mother or family cannot take care of the child as good as you could have, you know, so I think that's really difficult when you're a foster to adopt parent is that fear is just Oh, it's always just percolating until the adoption process is over um, because the courts do. They they favor the child going back to the, the birth family. Um, right. And Christina, you put your finger on it because to you, once you take a child, then you bond with a child. You bond with a child as if it's your own natural child. And for example, our younger daughter was a newborn. She came straight from the hospital into our house, I mean, into our home and, and on my, my, my partner's chest where she spent the next, I would say, year, a year and a half. She was always right here in the nook of his arm. And, and so like you, you bond to the child and then the very thought that, that the child may, you, you might lose this child. And then, you know, with a horror, you see what with the situation that they might be lost too. Um, 
you know, it's it it is it is it is emotionally extremely disturbing, and 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 like in our case, it can go on for a long time. So the foster adopt process is just an emotional roller coaster, <laughs> at to say the very least. And because you're going through so much, and you're you know you're bonding to this child, and the possibility that the child could go back to the original family, and all those things. Um, including just helping the child who has special needs, um, whether it's social, emotional, or physical, um, you're going to be going through a lot as a foster adopt parent. So do you have any recommendations for how parents can deal with this emotional roller coaster that they may embark on? Um, I have several. I have several. Um, I think, first of all, you should, you need to start with right there in your family with your partner if 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 you're not i mean if you if if you're raising the child alone i mean i understand things things are different but but if you if you have a husband wife you know boyfriend girlfriend whoever you're partnering with and raising the child um be open be open with them about how you feel and listen and ask them because sometimes you know some people sort of clam up and they just hold inside ask them you know so how do you feel about this you know like you know I noticed you haven't been sleeping lately or so, so talk to them. So talk to them and be supportive of, of each other, of each other. Um, if there are, and then think about the circles that surround you. Like, is there somebody in your family, your, your father, mother, brother, sister, cousin, uh, who you, you know, who you can talk to and who will listen and, and at least be, you know, empathetic to what you're going through. Talk to other, talk to other um, adoptive parents. You know, we belong to a club of, of gay fathers called po the Poplar Club here in Los Angeles. And there are many at the time we were in the process. We we're talking about more like early, early to mid 2000s um, um, uh, that that was the main the main sort of route that that gay men went in order to 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 raise a family was going through a foster, foster adoption. So there are a lot of us and, and talking to them, commiserating, learning, uh, learning the resources um, you know, getting some tips that was also very helpful. And I would also say that, you know, don't don't shy away from therapy. If therapy is available to you, you might need it, or you might even need some medications to help you through that, through that process. Um I'm I did that in my book in my book. I mean, I mean, I I uh I at some point I had to I had to go on Paxil in order to make it from day to day, from court from court date to court date. And I, you know, I even quipped about it that, you know, county should sell should, the county should sell, uh, should should send Paxil along with 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 a, with the foster payments. I love that you're being so candid and honest with that because that's yeah. what the parents need. They need to know that it's it's not always going to be a great, easy process. In fact, the chances of the foster to adopt process to be easy is very low, uh, but it it's so rewarding. And these kids need a home. And if you are a parent who is willing to sacrifice a little bit of that part of you to help a child, it's going to be so rewarding and so great for everybody in the end. But to talk candidly, like not sugarcoating how it it really is. And that I hear you saying mostly talk, talk about this, talk to them, get friends, talk to counselor, right. talk to right. just talk about it because you can't keep those feelings in. You Side, need right. to get those feelings out so that you're not holding them inside and you're not going to explode. You will not be the best self. You will not be you're the best parent you could be unless 
you can balance some of those emotions. So having that uh, armor ready to go before you even get into the process, like having that support group ready on hold, having that friend, you know, you can talk to um, even just emotionally just preparing for it, um, knowing that, okay, once a month, you get a day off all to yourself, like you were talking about earlier with your partner, having those plans and actions before you start this process so that you can take on those stresses, I think is so, so important. Um, you don't want to deal with them as they come. You want to get ready to deal with them beforehand, before they even step into the door. Right. And Christina, I don't want to mislead your uh, listeners into thinking that every foster adoption is a nightmare. No, <laughs> no, no. I mean, it can range from like, we have friends who adopted four kids one after another, and every single adoption case was easy. And one of, with one of them from the placement to the signing of adoption decree was eight months, which is unheard of. That's right? very fast. But yeah, yeah. And like like all four of them were were manageable and and relatively, you know, compared compared to our case, were really kind of painless, you know. We also know some some situations which were worse worse than ours, believe it or not. So it ranges, but that's that's why I'm going back to the to the idea of expecting the unexpected, the unpredictability of the process. That basically things may work out very well for you, and that's that's how it should be, or that's how it could be, uh, or things may get challenging, and that's exactly when you need to create that sort of your support network around you. Now I want to get into a family maybe. This mm -hmm. is your book. And it talks all about your experience. Can you tell me a little synopsis? Just like, what's the book about? What can uh, readers find inside? Well, the full title of my book is A Family Maybe, Two Dads, Two Babies, and the Court Cases that Brought Us Together. And so um, it's in a pretty much chronological order with some flashbacks going back a little bit about our backgrounds. Um, we, you know, I retell the story of the double adoption of our kids. The story begins the very first chapter, and uh, that's the one I'm willing to uh, to 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 share with with you with your readers. Is the chapter which depicts the day, which instantly was the day called it was six 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 June six two thousand six. <laughs> well, that's quite a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting coincidence when the, the the social worker was bringing a baby to our house uh, straight from a maternity ward and um so she I, I called I called the chapter the curbside delivery because that's exactly what it was she was delivered at the curbside um so the van pulled up she you know the social worker came out um, she didn't go into the house. I think there might have been some liability issues. I don't know. She just wanted to hand over the child as quickly as possible. And she, she, then she looked at her watch and said, oh, I need to beat the traffic. And then she was gone. This was our birth. Okay. So, and then Jonathan brought the, this, this, this cute, tiny, little, tiny, 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 little uh, newborn into our house. And then he handed over to me. And then he picked up the keys and headed out to the daycare to pick up her older sister. And that's when the reader learns that that this is not just one baby. There are actually two children involved. The book introduces, I think, the reader to, to, to the foster adoption process through the eyes of, of, of myself, the, you know, the, the adoptive parent. This is what it's like to go through the system, especially when things go not so well, shall we say, or they go wrong. 
and also how you learn along the way to 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 meet these challenges and maybe some of some of the things that I that that I that I that I learned or I you know would be great to pass on to other parents. I wish I'd known them myself. But at the end, uh, we you know this the children stayed with us and we were able to adopt them and raise them and they're now 17 and 19. <laughs> they're wonderful young ladies. Would you say that uh, a family maybe is for all foster to adopt parents or do you think it uh, really placed more specifically to the LGBTQ adoption? Um, no, 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 no. The LGBTQ side to side of that was, I think, I mean, it's there. And I would say at the time we were, we were I would say, in the first generation of, of out gay families, you know, kind of just going into process with our, you know, uh, and the pro and, and the system was open to us for the first time ever. And um, that aspect is important. But but ultimately, we, we were just family like any other in the street, you know, raising small kids. And um, I think that, well, the book is... First of all, I think it's a great human human story, human interest story. It's also very much an LA story because so much of what's happening here is rooted in in what we're living uh, living in. There's some Spanish in it, because, <laughs> which you know, there's some Russian, Spanish. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's a very sort of multicultural mix. You know, I, I don't think I mentioned this, but my partner is African American. I'm Russian Jewish. Our kids are, are Hispanic. Hispanic and and some and one of them is 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 a multiracial too. So there's there's so much going on in it into it. And so how do you raise a family so multicultural and I would say you know multi-religious you know in our case, you know. So it's it's I think it's a it it more than more than anything it's it's a family building story. I love that this is such a unique family that you have. It's an uh, it's two dads. I love right. that it's uh, very uh, interfaith, you know, yes. with, with both of you. I love that it's very multicultural with all of you, every single one of you. Um, where if people are resonating with you and they're they want to read this book, where can they find the book and if they want to reach out to you and ask you anything, anything personal, or you know, are you going to offer any help to anyone? How would they be able to get a hold of you? Well, to answer your question about the book, the book is available on Amazon, uh, Bookshop, and Barnes and Noble. As far as contacting me, um, you can look 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 up my website, which is laneigudin.com. L a n a l a n e i g o u d i n dot com, or you can also um, email me. Or you know, uh, Lena Gooden at gmail.com, or you can look me up on Instagram or Facebook. Um, I'm pretty active on both, so I'll, I'd love to hear from. I, I I love love hearing from from my readers and having com these conversations, you know, continuing. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Well, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate you. I hope that parents who are considering this process can lean forward with some and lean in with some of these suggestions that you made because they're they're really good ones. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Christina. It was such a pleasure to be here. And now for some impactful parent announcements. Don't forget the impactful parent special parent education event that happens every week. And this week, our topic is about cell phone, screen time, 
and video game addiction. So if this topic interests you, join me live on Zoom either Sunday evening or Wednesday at lunch. You could register with the link below. Thank you for joining us today. Remember that this episode is just a small part of the Impactful Parent community. We also offer online courses, parent support groups, coaching services, and the Impactful Parent app. Go to theimpactfulparent.com to find out more. To find out more about Melissa's services, go to fireandrainscoaching.com. Become a more impactful parent and download the Impactful Parent app. The Impactful Parent app is free so you can carry help, tips, and parenting resources right in your pocket. So discover new techniques to make your parenting more effective and get parenting resources that will make your life easier. Download the app today. You got nothing to lose since it's a free download. So go to theimpactfulparent.com or your phone's app store, search for Impactful Parent, and I'll be there. So discover how you can step up your parenting game and become a more impactful parent. But until next time, you got this. I'm just here to help. Thank you for listening today. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. And don't forget, the Impactful Parenting Podcast is an extension of the Impactful Parent community. Go to the Impactful Parent website and download the free Impactful Parent app so you don't miss a parenting tip that can help you and your family. Thanks for listening today. So go to theimpactfulparent.com. And see you next episode.